GM everyone, welcome to the first episode of Gamify Vader. This is the podcast where we dive deep into various games, guilds, tools across blockchain gaming. I'm your host DeFi Vader and today I'm joined by Brandon from Avocado Guild. Avocado Guild is currently the largest X Infinity Guild with almost 10,000 scholars and recently raised an 18 million private Series A round led by Animoca and QC. We talked about how Avocado Guild manages its operations, community, scholars, and what criteria they look at when investing in new blockchain. Enjoy. Hey Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Do you mind introducing yourself? What's what's the story behind Avocado Guild? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I'm Brendan Wong, the CEO and the co-founder of Avocado Guild. Avocado Guild was co-founded by myself, Sunny, and um, Jack, who's a strategic, more of a strategic player. He doesn't do as much of the ops. Most of the ops is done by Sunny, myself, and our team. So prior to Avocado Guild, uh, I was a serial entrepreneur, like most people in this space. Um, I've owned more than six businesses uh, in the last 15, 16 years, generally in traditional retail space. Um, I would I traded in equities. Um, and then naturally in 2017, I started dabbling into crypto. Um, there was a rise and fall of Ripple along with many other things. And um, to be honest, at that time, I, I, I lost a little bit of faith in crypto. Um, but it wasn't until recently, I think late 2020, that I started um, seeing the surge in uh, in popularity of NFTs and um, got quite interested in crypto again. And then Sunny introduced me to, um, he introduced me to Axie Infinity, I think mid to late June. And um, then I, I thought we'd take a look at this. And straight away, I saw an opportunity where uh, crypto could bridge the gap between just say Dogecoin that makes people very, very wealthy, but actually like have a real world impact for a lot of people. I started, I thought it was amazing how crypto uh, could be adopted by the masses through a game and games in general are kind of like the vessels of onboarding all new technologies and changes. Uh, I thought it was very, very interesting and I started looking deeper into it and look for strategies to kind of scale it. So prior to all of this and my retail businesses, uh, I'm also a seed investor in a lot of uh, some Web2 startup companies. Um, I co-founded snowpack.com. Um, so even before all of this, I was a very community-driven person and I understood uh, what it takes to scale. So when we started our journey with Avocado Guild, um, we really quickly built up our team. It only took a matter of two, three days. A lot of the people in the team have worked with me previously in my other projects. Um, we understood the importance of scaling. Everything was done to scale. And um, at the same time, we wanted to provide as many uh, to a lot of people as we could. Instead of just providing one or two, we really wanted to do, can we do 20? Can we do 200? Can we do 1,000? And um, with all of that in mind, we try to make sure that the community side was looked after. And um, yeah, we had a really strong community framework, a lot of community support, um, and we continue to grow, grow, grow. And as of right now, I think uh, we're very, very close to 10,000 teams. So yeah, we raised money. Obviously, we needed the money to hyper accelerate our growth, and we built our own technology to um to help support all of this as well. So that's a bit about Avocado. Um, thanks for that. You said you have ten thousand scholars. Is that accurate? Uh, we have we do not have ten thousand scholars, but um we are very close. We have more than nine thousand five hundred. More than nine thousand five. Okay, very interesting. Um, and you started in. June to 2021, June this year, right? 
Uh, early July, I would say. Early July. June, I was still, we had a couple of scholars, but I was still messing around with the breeding. How, if you don't mind me asking, how much capital did you start with? And was that um, your own capital or did you take any investments? Uh, we didn't officially have a seed round or anything like that. Um, but there are a couple of contributors to our capital and they're all part of, uh, some of them are passive. Um, I can't, I can't really say how much we've contributed to it, but um, it would be in the ballpark of a couple of million dollars just from the team. Mm -hmm. Where are you located in? Um, I'm currently in Singapore. Um, our team is kind of spread out. We have some people in Philippines, some in Indonesia. Uh, majority of my operation team is in Sydney, where I'm from originally. Um, but over time, we'll probably build up a larger team in Singapore. How did you find your first scholars and how did you um, decide on which axes to buy initially? Uh, very interesting question. Uh, it was actually Sunny that found our first scholar. I think um, he just made one post in, uh, in the Axie chat to say, hey, we're, we're offering scholarships. And then I think all the way up until October, we've never made any other post. We never messaged anyone, and then everything just grew organically to the size that we're at now. Got it. H how big is your team right now? Um, my team is, it fluctuates between, I think, 11 to about 15 people, depending on what we need. Some have left, some have joined, but right now we're probably on between 11 and 15, maybe about 13. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you emphasize on scaling. Um, are you able to scale without giving up on uh, quality or performance with a, with a team of um, you know 10 to 15 people? We, we don't really give up on any particular quality, but for example, there will be a time when Axie kind of would nerf some characters, and obviously that, that has some effect on our, on our scholars. Um, and we always prioritize um, you know, helping the old scholars out that have supported us. So, but in terms of quality, not really. However, the larger your community grows and i'm talking about an active community um the more work is required to make sure the community is looked after because in our guild community is number one and this is not discord size uh this is actual scholars that that you know that we support um i don't know if we're the largest guild um but i do think that we are uh, one thing unique about our particular guild is we don't have well currently we don't have any sub guilds so all of our scholars um, are kind of managed by our guild alone. Um, so I, I do know that there are some other guilds out there that kind of combine a bit. It might be like two, three guilds combined to be one or something like that. Well, with us, it's it's all managed by us. You recently raised um, a Series A round from pretty prominent investors. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about that? The raise was one of the larger raises, I think. Um, we raised the Series A. Um, it was led by Animoca Brands, QCP, Golden Tree, you know, a couple of others that you can find in the article. Um, we, I sold them our idea of really making a difference to communities through the introduction of crypto, uh, particularly in Axie Infinity. Um, obviously, we'll move into more games as the space develops, but the space is still very nascent and there is a lot of opportunities in the space. Um, in terms of addressing the total market, I feel like there's so much more that we can do. 
Um, and I mean, when I when I told them when I when I first reached out to a lot of these investors, I told them the position that I was in in the market, and I demonstrated to them my ability to scale and grow, and um, fulfill the promises that I've made. And um, I think most of them are quite happy with what we've achieved so far. So they they've been supporting us. How long have you been having conversations with them? Oh, this is a long time. I think I've it's a long time. I think it was uh, I think over two months. And um, is there any specific reason why you chose the, the lead investors over um, maybe other other offers? Uh, I think Adamoka Brands is very, very well respected in this space. Like Yatsu, he's like an idol. I think um, a lot of what's happening in this space uh, wouldn't have gotten to its current stage without the support of Yat. And, um, you know, he's been trying to fund a lot of the prominent projects in the space. I, I feel that his main goal is really to build out uh, Play to Earn, build out um, uh, the Web3 space and introduce blockchain, blockchain technology to the masses. And I think with that in mind, we align fairly well with him. Like even now, um, like Adamoka provides some level of support to us. Uh, I'm always in contact with the team. I give them an update every month. Um, and obviously, other than Adamoka being the lead, a lot of the other um, more prominent investors in, in our repertoire, actually, they're all pretty good. They've all been supporting us in every way, um, telling us what games have been great and giving us um, opinions on how we can improve. Uh, we, we chose our investors based on their strategic significance, not not just the capital. Like We actually turned away quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Animoco is a is a great uh, company, and um, they 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 add a lot of value to blockchain gaming. And I, I do think it's pretty impressive uh, what you guys did with the Series A round. Um, are you planning to are you planning to launch any tokens like YGG or Merit Circle? And do you have a an estimated date for that? Um, yes, we are working on the tokenomics right now. Um, it's it's like 99% done. I'll probably be releasing something today or tomorrow. Um, we are targeting to do a launch before end of the year. Okay. So so actually pretty soon um, you're going to list uh, the tokens. Yep. You raised something around 18 million, right, for the Series A. Um, is there a reason why you raised 18 million and not less um, since you're going to um, list the token? Just asking this because, you know, uh, you like this it's a question about getting less diluted um and and raising more at the higher valuation when you when you list the token we really wanted to hit over 10,000 scholars by the time we listed and um with the expansion and the rise of so many games coming out in the space we also needed the funds to ensure that we can invest not just in the nfts but have some form of stake in a lot of these games that we are supporting uh and when we have stake in these games we provide advisory um and at the same time we we try and help where we can with some of the development and even sometimes we'll send some scholars in the games to kind of test them out so we wanted to be part of the whole process of being able to invest in games invest in the nfts of these games and at the same time scale our operation to 10,000 plus. So in order for us to say have even what we have now, uh, you know, high 9,000s in terms of scholars, um, there's a lot of back-end management that needs to be done. Like you need to have the tech tools, you need to have the operation team, and everyone's got like crypto itself isn't that easy to understand. You've got to train. Um, and, there was a, and everything that we have, we built from scratch. 
So, I mean, all of this costed funds and we didn't want to be in a situation where um, we had less capital than any of our competitors, um, just to make sure that we can actually uh, build out these functions and roll them out quite quickly as well. Um, and then we didn't really want to tokenize before 10,000 as well, because we wanted to show um, that we have what it takes to scale. Got it. Makes sense. Which games are you invested right now? Uh, we're actually invested in quite a lot of games. So, um, I mean, big time games. We we were lucky enough to get a couple of plots of land in big time games. Um, we're obviously quite heavily invested in Axie, uh, as with all other guilds. Um, Cyborg, uh, Cypher. These two games I'm very bullish on. Uh, we've invested in Elpis Battle. Um, uh, there's there's a there's a couple of others. I I just can't really will remember them off the top of my mind. The ones that I've mentioned, um, I think they'll come out a little bit sooner than some of the other ones. So we're very excited for the releases of those games. Made an investment into Thetan Arena. Okay. And when, I, when I'm saying like invested, uh, I was referring to the in-game NFTs. Um, you mean you invested in the in-game NFTs of these games, right? Correct. Correct. Um, every single game that we've invested in the in-game NFTs of, we plan to move our scholars across. Um, with the space being as new as it is and play to earn really just starting to take off like properly. Um, you know, if we were to move our scholars into games, we want to make sure that our scholars are able to, I guess, make some form of an income. Uh, at the same time, we like games that have the ability to build strong communities. I mean, that's extremely important. I don't think Avocado Guild would exist today if, it, if we didn't have such a supportive community. Um, and we also like games that have <clears throat> some form of like strategic play. It doesn't need to be super difficult, but anything from casual gaming onwards, I guess, maybe not hyper casual. Um, so these are some of the things that we look for in the games that we invest in. Interesting. Um, can you talk a bit more about that? What are your criteria when you're looking to invest in um, a game's NFTs? Because I know a lot of games reach out to me asking for what yields look for. Um, so very curious on your thoughts there. Um, we have over 9,000 scholars in our guild and a lot of supporters as well with over 53,000 members in our Discord. Um, usually when I have an opportunity and we're looking at a game, for example, Thetan Arena, um, I would throw the game into the Discord and ask everyone what they think. I'll tell them what I think. And um, generally when the feedback is extremely positive, um, then I'll go for second round uh, talks with the games and uh, we would invest. I always look for whether the game has the ability to build communities. So is the game something that people would like to talk about, even if it's to complain about how difficult it is, or perhaps is the game uh, really cute or just something that gives them something to talk about. And at the same time, I obviously want the games to have some form of play to earn mechanic um, because I mean, our scholars do need to be paid in, you know, reimbursed for their contribution in some way. And um, thirdly, we want the game to have some form of strategic significance where they can make some decisions, uh, not just a full idle game. Because if a game is too repetitive and boring, like the scholars don't have much to talk about. And I mean, the whole point of a guild being awesome is, you know, you can almost do something that you were originally going to do, which is play with your friends chat with your friends, um, you know, and then go back and talk about all your exciting experiences. Um, and when a game is really boring, you can't really do that. You know, it just feels a bit like a chore. Then I guess you typically invest once a game is launched, not, not before, right? 
No, I actually try to invest before a game is launched as well. It is a little bit of a... I mean, you do have to take your pick. Um, but look, we have invested in games that have posed, like, you know, after they've launched. Um, but before they launch, you know, we have the... Uh, we have we can be a part of almost like we get to see all the new features that might come out. We, we get to acquire some of the newer NFTs. Um, you know, we, we get to even sometimes uh, play a part in helping them decide, you know, which path they want to go down with game development. So I think both we can invest in like the NFTs of, as long as our scholars enjoy playing the game and there is a return for them and there's a ability and there is a chance for them to build community and they enjoy talking about it. I think that's something we'll deeply look into. In terms of assessing the the return and the in-game economy to economics, do you have any um, in-house um, dedicated experts who who does that diligence on the <clears throat> game economy to economics or even the team? The team will look into it. We don't have a particular in-house expert, but we have a couple of people in the team that are fairly good at assessing things like this. But having that said, if a game hasn't come out yet, sometimes you can't. You know, like some questions I ask game developers would include, you know, how much do you think my scholars can make playing this game? And the thing is, no one really knows because once the game is out, it's kind of like an open market. So um, in that sense, we have to take a little bit of a risk and um, and see how it all goes. Um, but we do try our best to to find the ones that have have better economics than others. But that's not the only criteria we look at. Got it. Um, and, you know, you mentioned you say Citizen Arena or big time games or Cyball, let's say one of them uh, reached out to you and um, you check their website, you check the game and then you threw it to the Discord channel and you waited for feedback from the Discord members. Um, I guess that's that's kind of the, a, a typical process, right? And if you get good feedback, you have another call with them. And if you do like it, um, you guys decide to invest maybe initially um, a small amount, and then as you continue, you might invest a larger amount. Is that is that a right way to think about the process? Um, partially, uh, it's correct. But um, <clears throat> so sometimes the Discord actually throws games at me. They tell me about some of the games that they like to play, games that are exciting in the market, and I'll take their advice and reach out to those games as well. Um, we don't always wait for the for the Discord to come back to us. Like sometimes when I'm talking to the game and I really understand the mechanics, and you just get a really good vibe that you know the founder is trying to make something that can change the whole space, and you really believe in what he's trying to build. Um, things can move a lot faster than you know multiple steps of just waiting. Is there um, risk that the Discord server can be manipulated by that say, game 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 founders um, bots or or, or uh, paid people? No, not really, because like we're so close with our community, we know like most of the people that talk a lot, we kind of know who they are, and we really trust our leaders and community leaders. So, and, and you know, even us, well, once we have a little bit of time, we try and study everything there is to study about that game. But a lot of the games that come out, like, you know, when, when, we, when, we, when we first get introduced to them, like, there's not much, but then you kind of like, you know, you have meetings after meeting and you watch them grow, you, you kind of get a feeling, you know, what they're trying to build and you and sometimes it's it's quite exciting like some of these games are quite like for example i was very very bullish on cyborg even from the very beginning and as they're nearing launch i'm, I'm even more excited for their game and so is the guild so 
you have around nine to 10,000 scholars. What percentage of those are Axie scholars? Um, every single one of them play Axie. Got it. And um, among all your NFT assets, um, in terms of value, what percentage of those are um, Axie NFTs or lands? I would say 90%. 90% would be Axie, I think. Okay. Yep. And, and are you are you planning to diversify that, um, reduce that down over time, or or is that um, or do you have a high very high conviction in Axie and you want to keep it in 90% figures? Um, I think over time, as more games come out, we'll definitely diversify and move into other games. But as of right now, there is no particular game that that is like um, that anyone has like a lot of scholars in. Um, I think that's going to change. I think that's going to change in the next two three months. So I mean, we're already fairly large in Axie right now. Mm, maybe we won't grow as much in Axie, perhaps, but um, I'm not sure. Um, but moving forward, we'll definitely diversify, as demonstrated that I've already invested in over seven different games. Um, most of the games that I've invested in, you can find on the avocadodao.io website. Um, otherwise, there's a couple newer ones that haven't been placed on the site yet. But um, we're very bullish, not just in Axie, but in the whole space. Like what Avocado Guild is trying to do is not just, I mean, build like a whole bunch of scholars within Axie. Um, it's really to build um, like to build out the whole ecosystem of play to earn gaming in general. And all our scholars right now, even though they play Axie a lot, these are the future of play to earn gamers. Like eventually they're going to move into other games. They're going to learn how all the other games work. It just so happens that, you know, in Axie that gave them the first taste of play to earn. Um, in the end of the day, we're trying to onboard like people that aren't used to crypto into a new technology that provides more opportunities for them. Um, and right now just, you know, Axie is the big one. If I can scale my operations in Axie, like I think I can scale it in other games as well. Um, and that's something I do plan to do as well. And I do think you have the a proven track record to, you know, scale your operations in Axie um, with, a, with a team of, you know, 10 to 15. So I do agree on that. Do you guys invest in like SAFT, you know, um, private seed rounds? Or are you planning to do it? And, and do you have a team for that to source deals and do due diligence? Uh, yeah, we, we do invest in uh, private rounds of games as well. Um, we want to support them, um, not just purchase the NFT, but you know we want to have some of their governance tokens as well. Um, keeps me in the loop. Um, in terms of a team, uh, we do. We do have a couple of us that are responsible for that. Um, I, I try to make sure that I... Uh, I see every single kind of deal that comes through just to understand it. Cause I like to, like, I like to talk to my scholars a lot and I like to even talk to the general people that are in chat. Um, and at the same time, I like to meet all the new games that are coming out and just be interested in what they're building. Cause the space is like a lot of people know everyone in the space. And, and I think it's really exciting to be able to be part of the, the growing journey as these games build out as well. How do you hear about these rounds? Do you do you, um do they reach out to you directly, or do you hear from maybe other VCs or other guilds? Interesting. Um, I hear from sometimes I actually hear it from other guilds. Uh, sometimes I hear it from VCs, and sometimes they reach out to me. And other times, if our scholars tell me that there is a really cool game coming out, we'll reach out to them as well. Okay, nice, nice. I mean, I think the last uh, part, which is more proactive, 
is probably more appreciated by by the game um, games and game founders as well. Yeah, um, it's funny when you talk to one game founder, usually um, if they kind of like you, they'll also introduce you to other game founders as well. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Okay, um, so, you know, you mentioned the community, which is a very, I think, interesting piece uh, for the guilds. You know, the way I'm thinking, um, like a guild is more like a job board for, for scholars or like it could either be a job board for them or they're looking for some side income from multiple games, or it can be more like a um, more like a Facebook where they they they're engaged. They like spending time there. They would they would continue spending time even if there isn't a um, you know a, a scholarship. How how do you think about um, your community, your Discord channel? How do you how do you manage the community? I love that you asked that question. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, a guild can be like a job board. I mean, it definitely started off as like a job board. But then over time, you develop relationships with these people. So in our guild, um, you know, we, we treat them all very, very well. And um, we started doing community incentive programs where we do disaster relief. Like we do a lot of on-ground work. Um, we give back to the community, we sponsor the schools. And at the same time in our guild, we try and make it fun and we host a whole bunch of different events, Halloween events, Christmas events, um, singing contests, trivia contests. We host everything. We try to make it as fun as possible. And the reason for this is because over time, um, we realize that you know what we have, they're not bots. Um, and they're not like a non-engaged community. It's not like a concert where you don't know everyone that's out there. Like we're very, very in tune with our leaders. Um, and we, you know, we, we will take the questions from a lot of our scholars individually. Like we try to be like quite integrated with the guild. And in our particular guild, everyone knows everyone. Like they all know each other somehow for some reason. They're just, they're, they're all introduced by friends because everything is so organic. So overall, we don't just see ourselves as a job board. We see ourselves as kind of like over time have evolved into more like a support for the community. So, you know, we see ourselves as really falling into a position where we have the ability to onboard the future generation of um, crypto users that have adopted the technology through um, Web 3.0, um, through play to earn incentives in gaming. I mean, these guys might be playing a game based on Ethereum now, but give it another month or so, they'll be playing a game on a BSC chain. Give it another month or two months or so, they might be playing a game on Solana. So what you really have is not just a job board because um, because a lot of these people don't know how to play, like do these jobs. So what we have to become is almost become like an an educator, an educator uh, and almost like an umbrella of support to hold their hand in this journey and teach them about all these new opportunities, all these new games and make sure that they don't get scammed, uh, you know, by by like dodgy technology along the way. And um, as a guild, we just, we try to look after them and in turn, like they've supported us quite well. So in a way, we're kind of like family here. Like we, we quite, we quite care about our scholars. I mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think it's very important to engage um, your, your community members um, I, I guess the challenge here is how 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 do you um like how do you track your performance um, as as a community manager? What what metrics can you track to see whether you're you know you're doing a good job or you should make some changes? 
So we have a reporting metric tool, um, you know, pulls from a database. We can kind of see their performance when it comes to, um, like, for example, if it's just game performance in Axie, we know their details. Uh, if they drop off or they disappear for a couple of days, we kind of, you know, know who they are and we just we'll send them a message or so just to make sure that they're okay and everything's okay. Um, in our particular guild, honestly, we don't really, we don't even have a quota, but if someone's underperforming, we'll kind of ask them what's wrong to see if we can kind of help them a little bit. In terms of actually tracking, um, how they are like uh, we have a lot of community leaders and the community leaders are basically the health checkpoints of the guild and they can tell us how the guild's responding how everything is going um, whether there is anything we should be aware of but other than the community mem uh, community leaders uh, doing all these checks us ourselves would always go in and have a chat with a couple of scholars and just to make sure everything is okay and um, I mean with a community like this you know, if one person complains, you're going to hear it. But with like 9,000 plus, like, you know, if people complain, it can start like a whole storm of complaints. And realistically, we haven't had any situations like that because we've tried our best to manage this, um, you know, through tools, making sure that the earnings are reported properly to them so that they're happy. And at the same time, when we induct them into our guild, we make sure that they understand what we're trying to do, which is really to um, see if we're able to provide them with more opportunities. We're not saying to them, quit your day job and come play games forever. We're saying to them, there's an opportunity here, um, not just for you, but also your family and your friends. Um, and you know, you might be able to earn some alternative income from this. And at the same time, you'll learn about this emerging technology that could benefit um, you in the long run. So this is what we kind of do. And um, in terms of like scholars leaving us because they're upset, our churn rate for that is very, very low. And I think that's another metric on, you know, the health of the community. You mentioned community leaders. Can you elaborate on that? Who are they? Yep, we have a whole bunch of different leaders in our guild uh, for different roles. Um, they were all determined by the framework when we set it up and they've been upgraded over time. So we have guild leaders, community leaders, we have esports players, we have um, educators, uh, we have a whole bunch of, um, what else have we got? We've got a whole bunch of others as well. We've got coaches um, and as a, a community leader is kind of like, I guess, um, like the social leaders of our guild, you know, they they talk to everyone, they know everyone, and they make sure everyone's like in good spirits and everything is okay. Um, but it's not just their job to, you know, try and make everyone happy. It's also their job to let us know the health of the guild, uh, whether anyone, whether the guild's going through uh, something tough or there are some problems. So all of the leaders have different roles, and um, together they work together to make the guild what it is. Are these leaders um, also scholars? Yeah, the leaders are also scholars, um, but a lot of our illustration, artwork, even tech, um, writing, we, we try, when, with such a large community, like, it's not just about doing digital HR work, like playing games for a living. Um, you realize a lot of them have studied different things. A lot of them um, have had different experiences in the workforce. Like in our guild, they range anywhere between like 17 years old to like over 40. They've got a lot of life experience. And where we can leverage off their skills, we will. And um, this is something that we'll pay them on top of just like having a scholarship. But having that said, like, like I mentioned previously, um, all, all our 9,000 plus have a scholarship in Axie. Isn't it a bit challenging to um, measure the performance of these leaders or people who are responsible of managing the community? Um, because it's it's usually based on the qualitative 
input that you get from you know the person who is responsible of them um and and you know i i guess there isn't any any quantitative way to actually like track this no there is no real quantitative way you can't say like i think we've got over 20 community leaders i think 20 or 30 but it's hard to say whether one community leader does more work than the other that does more work than another like that's not the whole purpose of this like we chose the community leaders based on their personalities um and all of them just genuinely understand what we're trying to do. We have very scheduled, we have scheduled meetings with them, like I think every week, and we would tell them about everything that's happened. Um, and part of all of those incentives is like releasing the Avocadian, like our own internal newsletter every month. And it talks about everything that's happened within the guild because the guild has built itself to become a community of its own there are no like metrics on who's doing more work than the person next to them if any of our guild members whether they're community leaders or leaders if they go through any trauma or any trouble at home you know we'll just say don't worry about playing take a couple of days off like it's okay like we don't have that pressure um our, our best measure of how strong our community is 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 really just you know seeing if people complain and seeing if people decide to leave our guild for another guild or just dealing with guild members that aren't satisfied. So you have about 20 to 30 uh, um, mm -hmm. community leaders. Uh, I know that in, uh, with YGG, they um, have this, like, you know, scholars take 70% of the earnings, 10% goes to the YGG's treasury, and 20, there's a 20% pool where it's uh, shared amongst uh, their community leaders. Um, do you have a similar structure? Um, our guild members all start off earning 50-50. Um, some of them will earn much more than 50-50, up to uh, 65, um, 35. Um, but on top of this, there are bonuses as well, based on random things that happen. Um, but YGG's ones are more like, I don't think they're community leaders. They're more like community managers. So in a way, I think they're more like small guilds under the YGG banner. Um, everything in our guild is currently managed under one banner, which is the Avocado Guild banner. So um, my team manages everybody inside the guild. Uh, we reward differently, but um, no, our, our currently our community leaders and our guild leaders don't have like scholarships of their own. How do you um, measure scholar performance? Um, I think the best way to measure scholar performance, if it's like if we just use Axie Infinity, it's you know what the SLP earning is. But that's something that we really don't pay too much focus on. Um, we actually like really value scholars that just try to make a difference. So there will be times when we try and host on ground events, and um, there are always the same couple of scholars that you know want to make a difference and help their community and um you can literally watch them grow because we we do like two to three uh ground events every single month on top of like our online events and um you know you see people that are timid and shy um you know start to become more outgoing uh learning to teach other people and pass on the message and it's just like it's really heartwarming for us to be able to see things like that and um when they do this naturally people hear about avocado guild and then they they want to join as well and then you know the guild grows as well at the same time because they feel that this is the message your guild kind of pushes through yeah that's great so so, so i guess i mean um a scholar has has a value add if um, either um, he or she has, you know, um, earned high SLP or he or she adds value to the community in, in different ways. Um, and 
And what happens if um, like a scholar misses out on a weekly SLP target or um, hasn't played for a couple of days or weeks? Um, do, do you have any any penalties or how do you how do you manage that? We don't have any penalties. Um, we don't even have a target. Um, but what we do is we look at all of our scholars and we kind of know where the average um, is. So we know what they should be earning. Uh, if they're earning below, say, the average, what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll either get some of the community leaders or a guild leader or, or ourselves would message them and just make sure everything is okay. Um, make sure that, you know, the circumstances haven't changed. And sometimes, you know, they, they're going through some trauma and sometimes some things have changed. And other times you just really find out that they, they want an Axie swap or they need some help. And we try to help where we can. Um, we haven't had many scholars that, you know, refuse help and at the same time continuously perform badly. Like that's not good for them either because like if they're not making much income because they're performing badly, you know, they don't want to waste time kind of with us as well. So most of the time they they try to improve and um, and then they'll get they'll get better. But if we see some that are absolutely inactive and they're inactive for multiple days and we can't contact them, then yes, for those ones, we will take the scholarship back. But that's also a very rare case. It's not common. I think that there are like trades off of, of uh, to the boat approaches. Um, on one hand, of course, it's um, not nice to like take scholarship away, and it's good for for a guild support scholar. Um, but on the other hand, you know there are a lot of scholar candidates who are like um, looking for um, to get a chance to prove themselves. Um, so, so I think it's it's a challenging um, problem to, to to deal with. We 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 rarely ever take away a scholarship. It's only when we cannot contact the person anymore after three, four, five days, and um, we don't know what's happened to them, and then perhaps we'll take it away. Like we we really haven't taken uh, scholarships away unless, like the ones that I do recall where we take them away is when the scholar is particularly rude. They're rude to all the other scholars, they're rude to the leaders, they're rude to everyone and they don't want to listen and we give them enough chances. Like those are the ones that we'll kind of take away because that's not what we want in the community. And in, resp and in, in response to what you just said, I 100% agree. Our scholarship, we have 9,700 9, scholars. I think it's 9,007. Um, and we have 53,000 people in our Discord server. So if you look at the conversion rate for how many scholars we have compared to how many discord members we have we actually try our best to convert most of the people so they don't have to wait like we don't want them to be begging we don't want them to be waiting we want to help them we really really want to help them and if you look at some other scholarships like sometimes they might have like a much higher discord count like 150,000 or i don't know 120,000 but they've only got 1,000 or 1,500 scholars like those scholars that are waiting there for a chance to be a scholar like like, I think there's a higher chance that those guys, you know, will be less satisfied than our ones, just because our conversion is higher in that sense. And this is not to have a go at those guys. It's just like we just scale a little bit faster and we try to provide a bit more. You mentioned that some of the scholars earn up to 65% of the SLP, daily SLP. How, how do you decide um, on who gets 65, who gets 50? It depends on um, like how they contribute to our guild. Um, 
with a large guild, there's a lot of different things they can do to contribute to your guild. Um, it could be anywhere from moderating the guild to solving some of the problems that scholars have or just to educating um, the scholars on how to play better or assessing whether they need axi swaps. Um, we try to automate as much as we can within the guild um, by assigning uh, roles to people that might be better at those roles. And for those that take up a bit more roles and they really enjoy the community and they want to help everyone, they get they get rewarded higher for that as well. And you, I guess you constantly track whether they're actually um, doing what they, they were supposed to do? We, we, we do track it because when a whole bunch of them don't, you know, don't do, don't do what we've assigned for them to do, then some parts of the guild start falling apart. Yeah, and we also have to keep track of like, you know, we're always wary of people that are multi-accounting as well. That's not something that we want to tolerate because we feel that multi-accounting isn't, like it's not really community building and things like that. So we try to keep an eye out on this as well. Sometimes we work with other guilds um, to share knowledge of scholars that might have more accounts. Yeah, I guess that's that's like one of the worst case scenarios, right? Because you, your, your axes get, get banned. <laughs> yeah, our axes might get banned and this and that. But normally with multi-accounters, like they won't contribute too much to the community because they're too busy playing multiple accounts. And uh, yes, the axes are at risk. Um, but at the same time, they're kind of taking away an opportunity that we can provide to someone else as well. Okay. How do you select scholars? We have a process where they complete a form and uh, post completion of the form they'll go through an interview and then after the interview um, we'll let them in the game and if they're not performing well we'll teach them how to how to get better just like that questions around how to play axie uh we we do we ask some questions about their level of experience in playing axie or just other games or similar games in general but most of the questions is really just to see like how they heard about Avocado Guild, um, you know, how, you know, why did they decide to choose Avocado Guild over other guilds? Like, it's just very humanitarian questions as well. Like, everyone started as a noob at some point, right? It's not always about finding the best Axie player. Like, they could, they're only going to be, like, like, in, in most cases, they're going to be as good as the Axies you give them. I mean, there are skill level, you know, there is skill level involved, but we do try to give them decent axes. Um, but, you know, some people, everyone starts off somewhere. So we try to give everyone a bit of a chance as well. It's not always just choosing the best. Like we have, uh, let me tell you one example, right? We have this um, this girl who's a community leader in our, in our guild. And um, when she first started playing Axie, um, you know, I noticed that she was, uh she wasn't great but she was okay but she started she was very active in the community so i started speaking with her and then later on i found out that she had a dad um that wasn't doing much and a brother that needed care so i decided to offer her dad a scholarship and her dad had no idea how to play axie but then i gave him two three weeks and the dad like has 1600 mmr and outperforms her and a lot of other players as well so i mean if they're willing to learn they can generally be okay oh that's that's an amazing story and and how you know you mentioned that you give decent axes to everyone how do you decide on which axes you give to scholars because i guess you know uh, like actually the your earnings is a function of the the axes you have right um well we have a team uh that always looks at the ladder board to see uh what's kind of like popular right now in the ladder board but at the same time because our scholars have been playing for so long like some of them have been playing for four or five months they have an idea of what's good and we will have discussions with them to see 
what's a good build. And then before we kind of dive deep into breeding or acquiring a certain type of axi, we'll do some tests to make sure that the build actually works. So there's a couple of builds that we have. And at the same time, um, these builds are tested before we um, try to start building out the teams. What is the um, scholar onboarding and training process? Uh, we also have to teach them how to use the wallets and uh, keep security of the wallets. Uh, the training process, not all scholars go through a training process. A lot of the scholars already know how to play or they've watched enough YouTube or, or learned enough how to play. Like most of our scholars are from Philippines and Indonesia and Axie Infinity is quite popular over there. So a lot of them know how to play. But for those that require training, um, they can either apply for it or they can uh, or they will get recommended a training lesson by um uh, one of our leaders. So if someone's performing badly, it's not like it's not something that they want. So they'll generally complain about it, and then someone will handle the complaint, assess their axie, and if they and if they feel that this person has decent axes and they just need a bit of training, they'll put them in a training. And if everything can't be done, then we'll trade. Uh, we'll swap their axes as well. But that takes a little longer. Um, one thing I struggled when I when I had um, some scholars was just managing the operations, sending QR codes every now and then, making the payments, communicating with the scholars. How do you solve that problem at, at such scale? How many scholars did you have when you managed it? Seven. I think my wife has about like three scholars or four. Like three to four scholars is not too hard to manage, right? Um, I used to have about two or three myself just to test it out as well. Um, but once you get to like 50, 100, 150, 200, um, I, can't, I can't tell you all of our secrets, but we have built our own tools to help with a lot of the claims and payments. Uh, these are not tools available in the community. These are tools that we've built um, that we use. Um, and at the same time, we have a, we have a very sh strong database and that's something quite essential when you, you have so many scholars. Um, yeah, that's all I can really kind of say. Oh, one, one other thing to be very wary of is once you have a large amount of scholars, um, reporting is very important. So, you know, imagine you're dealing with one scholar and they want to argue with you about how much they've earned. You're going to make sure that, you know, when you have a lot of scholars that they're all happy with the earning and, and their split of their earnings as well. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of guilds, right? I, I mean, there's there's a lot of guilds that that understand that this is a pain point. Like even with you, with seven or eight scholars, you realize, man, one of the pain points is scaling and the operation and all that. Like you know, it's hard, man. It's not easy, and a lot of the guilds are trying to build technology um, to solve these problems and um, you know become game agnostic across multiple games and things like that. Like we've already solved, I wouldn't say perfectly, but we've solved a lot of these pain points um already as demonstrated by our size otherwise realistically we can't scale like you just can't go past you know 2000 like how are you going to do it <laughs> like you'll just be paying yourself to death and and in terms of kind of buying axes and breeding axes do you also have some in-house tools that that facilitates that no we don't have any in-house tools for buying axes because i think I don't think that's legal. <laughs> I think that's kind of breaks the Axie marketplace system. <laughs> yeah, I don't okay. think that's legal. So we, no, we don't have tools for buying. We don't we don't do any we don't do any bots. Um, any purchases, uh, we, we we buy them manually. Um, yeah. I heard of some people that like specialize in breeding and they give breeding consultancies. Uh, do you <laughs> do you breed often or yeah? What's your what's your take on breeding? Uh, we don't have breeding consultancies, but if we mess up our breeding, just 
look at the speed that we grow at, right? If we mess up our breeding, that's a pretty big problem. So we do try to be very careful when we breed. Um, no, but we don't consult anyone on breeding as well. The game changes quite quickly sometimes. So we, we try not to go, you know, too deep down one particular meta. We have a breeding uh, master, if that helps. Like, <laughs> there's someone in our yeah. in our team that's like a master breeder. I won't say who it is. Okay. <laughs> well, do, do you do you prefer um, breeding or or buying new axes? Um, we try to do a bit of both. It really depends on whether it's cheaper to buy more uh, new axes or to or like generally it's cheaper to breed, but sometimes the market is a bit strange and it is a bit cheaper to buy. So we do a bit of both, but I think. I think, yeah, we, we do a bit of both. It really depends on when, on the price, uh, whether it's economically feasible to breed or buy. Um, and, and one question, actually, going back to the scholars, what percentage of your scholars are um, from Philippines? Oh, I think, I think about 85 to 90% from Philippines. And, and is, is that where your um, existence is in terms of kind of the Discord members as well? Good question. I'm not sure when it comes to Discord members. Um, I would guess a lot of them are, but um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you where most of the Discord members are from. <laughs> Do you have any plans to kind of um, expand the other countries in, in terms of attracting scholars and maybe building some local scholar operations? Yeah, we do actually. Um, well, we want to go a bit deeper into Indonesia, but um, we're very focused on Southeast Asia, and we're also looking at India and Asia as well. And and how how can you kind of start operations in in, what, in these countries? Do you, do you like partner with someone, or do you hire someone? Uh, we've had a couple of offers to partner with people in these areas. Um, I don't think if we wanted to start a scholarship in India or so, I don't think it's particularly difficult. We just chose Indonesia and Philippines, like. Because it was the same time zone, <laughs> like that, that's kind of why. And um, we felt that, uh, you know, if you have a lot of people that speak the same language, it kind of helps the community bond. So that was like initially why we chose these areas, as opposed to like a, a whole bunch of different areas. Like if we had a guild, if we had some activities in Brazil and Africa, um, it would make it a little more difficult to manage the whole program without making sub scholar managers, if that makes sense. Because we wanted to kind of do everything inside, we chose a targeted area that had the same time zone. Yeah, fair enough. I, I guess it's important for the community to bond as well, so it makes absolute sense. What's your view on Axie's economy and, and SLP? Um, Axie's economy, I mean, it feels like Axie's quite reliant on a lot of new players coming in, and they are getting a lot of new players coming in. Um, but in regards to SLP, like SLP is known for fluctuating. Like, even since like July and, and August, September, like every month, everyone's saying SLP is going to dip, going to dive, going to do this and that. And most of the time it does. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of players playing the game. Um, and even if the scholars are making less than they used to, what they used to make, they're still enjoying the game. Like our particular scholars, they play three hours, as you mentioned before, about whether they're social or not. They play three hours and then a lot of them come into the Discord and just chill with everyone else like they're their friends and we'll watch a movie together. And it's really become kind of like a community pad and um, they'll hang for another four hours. So I think they see it as more of an alternative income. Like they're gonna play anyways, and um, if they can make a little bit playing it, that's great. So we haven't seen too much kind of like um, worry there. Although when SLP does crash, obviously everyone is a little bit upset because you know high SLP means more earning. 
Um, but I think Axie will find a way to maintain everything. Like, I mean, the last patch that, that boosted the SLP breeding price by uh, breeding cost by 3x, right? And in terms of competition, um, you know, a lot of guilds have been raising capital. Uh, what do you think about the competition and, and the capital that has been raised by guilds so far? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you have capital, it can really help you develop the tools, hire the team, and grow your uh, I don't know, grow ax, grow your Axie team or scholar if you want to, or grow it in any other game. Um, so we want to raise uh, capital as well, and we will need to raise a decent amount of capital to make sure that we can build out what we want to build. But in the end of the day, like how much capital do you really need, right? And I don't see any of these guilds as competition. Like um, a lot of these guilds are just kind of identifying a lot of the pain points that smaller guilds have, and they want to build a solution for them. All of the guilds, regardless of their size, I mean, they're kind of in the space to kind of encourage play-to-earn gaming and build up the ecosystem of all of these games. And in that way, it benefits the whole play-to-earn economy as a whole. And I think if the economy is healthy and the technology is adopted mainstream, a lot more people will come into the space and in turn, all the guilds will benefit as well. Like, I think it's a cycle that goes around. So it's not really about like beating you know a b c or d like we're all here essentially to do the same thing like how do you gauge one guild beating another guild is it the size of their scholarship what technology they claim they have like what is it you know what you know what i mean at the end of the day like we just try to do what you know what what we set out to do which is change as many lives as we can and yes it is focused in philippines and indonesia but we will grow and we will cover more ground um but at the same time all these technological hurdles and pain points we've tried our best to overcome them um we we just have a focus on growing the space and we're trying to do it our way that's all and um yeah we're very supportive of other guilds as well and you know i've tried to make friends with a couple of them as well cool do do you partner with some of them we we don't partner with anyone i mean we'll talk we'll talk and sometimes we'll talk about a b c d and e but no no particular partnerships or anything um i don't rely on any of their technology and neither do they rely on ours so final questions what what's on your roadmap what's what's next for avocado guild um moving forward for avocado guild uh we would like to tokenize uh before the end of this year um we are working very hard towards that and then after that we want we have some really cool ideas on how we want to um, build token utility um i'll keep that under wraps because i don't want to promise anything that may not happen but we are working very hard on building out use cases that can somehow benefit um the real world um at the same time we want to continue to grow our scholarship and yes we will diversify and uh, offer more games to existing and future scholars as well um we're not just going to be focused on casual games we want to start looking into games that are a little bit more or like something that's a bit different right like um with big time that might that'll be a triple a game uh with some of the other games there might be uh shooter games there might be um puzzle games whatever games that come out i think there's a genre for everyone and as our community grows um i think we'll it's our guild's job to protect our community and at the same time just help discover what these guys enjoy and are good at so that we can try and put them in the right pieces. I've moved the pieces in the right uh, right fit. Are you planning to invest in virtual lands such as in Sandbox or Decentraland? Yeah, I am planning to invest in uh, virtual lands. I'm not sure which one at the moment. I mean, sand's pretty expensive right now. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, ten million for a plot of land. I mean, if I had the money, maybe. But like, um, yeah, I am looking at virtual land as well. 
I mean, I guess it's it's not ideal for scholars, but but you know, you never know what what you can build on on top of those lands. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a decision that that would be made by you guys. I'm very interested. I'm very very interested, not just in sandbox land, but in a lot of um other virtual land of a lot of other games as well. Okay, amazing, Brandon. Any any last words um for for the audience? No, I really enjoyed this and I hope I provided some insight without rambling too much. And, um, you know, thank you for having me today. Thank you for joining. Thank you all for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions or questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at D5Vader. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe. See you next episode.